Amen. The song that we sang was a great reminder of the mercy that God has extended to us and how greatly we need his mercy. The lesson that Justin taught also reminded us of that this morning as well. His lesson was convicting as he talked about respectable sins, so those sins that we think that aren't so bad. And so as I hear that and as I think about that and as I was preparing for this message this week, I thought, I need to make a confession to you this morning, especially this morning. Um, as I heard that lesson and I contemplated my drive over here from my house, and in my eagerness to be here with you this morning, I found myself exceeding the 65-mile-an-hour speed limit and driving far beyond what the law allows. And I found myself failing a test, a struggle with temptation, and so do you. We all do. But here's, here's the good news. We're not alone. Someone is with us, someone who knows our struggles personally, and he cares about us. But we do have to face the fact and, and confess that there are many times in our life as Christians that we are tempted. We are tempted many times to compromise our standards in order to achieve immediate success or achieve our immediate desires. Sometimes my flesh cries out for immediate satisfaction rather than waiting on God's timing and his will. We struggle with temptation every day as believers, right? I'm not alone, right? Okay. Getting concerned there for a second. All right. We struggle with lots of things. We struggle to keep our minds pure. At times we struggle with speaking the truth because it's going to cost us to do so. And sadly, at other times, we're tempted to be proud of our moral superiority over others. Temptation is prevalent in the Christian's life. And how we deal with it must be biblically based. Temptation to sin is an ongoing battle for the Christian in this world. But there's good news. The Lord Jesus has conquered the overwhelming power of temptation for us. And he wants us to rest in his victory and follow his pattern, his example, when we go into battle with temptation also. So that's what I want to help you do this morning. I want to show you how the Lord Jesus went through that battle victoriously for us. So please open God's word with me to actually to Luke chapter 4, and then we will go to Matthew chapter 3, and then we will finally end up in Mark Chapter 1. Look with me in Luke 4, 1, and 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, 
And when they were ended, he was hungry. Now go with me to Matthew 3. Matthew 3.16. I'll be reading down to chapter 4, verse 2. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Church, that's an amazing statement. We are not pleasing to him. So he sent his Son to do what we cannot do. In verse 4, Jesus went on to do what we couldn't do. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered according to Scripture to deal with the devil in this battle. Now look with me in Mark chapter 1, our primary text this morning. Mark 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 and go down to verse 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn or ripped open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. In all these accounts, we are going with Jesus, our champion in the faith. We are going with our champion here from the praises of God the Father, the the pinnacle of praise. This is my Son with whom I am pleased. We go from that praise of the Father immediately into battle. Immediately into battle with Satan and temptation. And we go there with him because he's going there for us. After Christ is praised from the Father... It says in this text and the other text that we read that he is immediately driven into battle for us. Now, let me ask you this. Do do you think about that very often when you're tempted to sin? Do you think about the Savior going into temptation to conquer sin for us? And and if you think about that, does that that turn your mind back to praising God and away from the temptation? It should. It should. But this won't happen unless we're studying and worshiping God according to his word. There's a direct connection to God's word and our victory in Christ being manifest in our temptations. We need to have the word dwelling in us richly like Christ did. As you'll see in this battle, Jesus fights against temptation in the flesh. Just like us. 
He uses the same weapon that we have available to us this morning. He conquers in our place because of his nature, because of his calling. But he does so according to the word, by trusting in what God has said. I think it would be helpful for us to understand this because in this text, as I read 12 and 13 in particular, it reveals that Christ himself understands what we go through. He understands our battle with temptation. And it also reveals to us that he is our champion when we fail in our temptations, because we do. Do we not? He never failed. God the Father looks to Christ when we fall short. And we too should look to Christ when we fall short. He understands the struggle. And he hears us when we cry for help in the midst of it. When we read texts like this here in Mark and the other gospel accounts, I hope we feel and understand the personal sacrifice that Christ has made to deliver us from this overwhelming power of temptation that looms over us all the time and to deliver us from the slavery of sin that condemned us. Do we, do we feel the personal sacrifice? I mean, look at how the, the gospel writers wrote this. They talk about him fasting 40 days, 40 nights. I haven't fasted two days and two nights. One day, I think I'm going to wither up and die. Jesus was starving. He was in a wilderness, Mark tells us. You guys ever been in a place that you're afraid? Have you ever been in an environment that's terrifying? That's where Jesus was at. And he was, humanly speaking, alone, except for the wild animals. They were there, and there was a great beast that was there to accompany him. His name is Satan. But even in the wilderness, and even in that suffering, and that that hurt, and that pain that he's feeling, he knows he is really not alone. God the Father is with him. God the Father will use this battle to redeem his people as well. And that is a great comfort for me when I go through temptations, when I go through a wilderness time in my life. I know that God is with me because Christ has overcome for me. I just want that reality to settle into our hearts. I want the reality of of what the text is talking about. We're talking about the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was 100% man, flesh, blood, bone, brain, feelings, nerves, suffering in this way. The only one who should have never suffered. He goes into the wilderness, driven by the Spirit, for our redemption. Let that weigh on your heart this morning as we look at this. As we look, really, this morning in verses 12 and 13, as, as Mark highlights three phases of our champion's battle against temptation. Three phases of Christ's battle against temptation. Mark tells us that our champion, Jesus, was number one, propelled into this battle by the Spirit, verse 12. He was propelled into this battle 
by the Spirit. Jesus was, number two, tempted in this battle by Satan. Verse 13, the first half. And thirdly, Jesus was comforted after the battle by God's servants. 13b. Mark is telling us that our champion was driven into the battle by the Spirit, was tempted in this battle by Satan himself personally, and he was comforted by God intimately through the sending of his servants to care for him because he was victorious in our place. This was his reward for his victory. In the first phase of our champion's battle, we see that, number one, again, Jesus was propelled. And I use that word very particularly this morning because that's what this Greek text actually is conveying. He was propelled by the Spirit. He was propelled to confirm God's affirmation that he made in verse 11. This is the confirmation of this confession that God made from heaven. It says, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. He is going to confirm this. So the spirit drives him out into this harsh and desolate place to prove that he is the one who pleases God in our place. The spirit immediately drove him, it says, into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted now, before I go any further, I want to clear up a few things about the text. This narrative is about Christ's unique encounter with Satan as our representative. Just as the text above this was uniquely about Christ's baptism, this text here is uniquely about Jesus' temptation as our representative. Jesus faces Satan here in this wilderness encounter in the same way that Adam faced Satan in the garden face to face. Jesus is sent into that place, it says in this text, by the Spirit. And he's sent there to recover what Adam had lost in the garden. This is the beginning of the redemption story being lived out physically by Jesus here. The promise of Genesis 3.15, Satan's head being crushed underfoot by the Redeemer. This is what's happening in this text. He's going to reclaim what Adam had lost. Jesus personally does this. He personally appears to destroy the works of the devil for us, according to 1 John 3, verse 8. Jesus faces Satan personally in order to reveal something very important to us this morning. He faces him on a personal level to reveal his own inherent power, that he was fully God, 100% God, and fully man, pure and holy. And he also reveals God's plan to recover lost men and women, those who are of Adam's descent. His victory over Satan for us, understand this, Jesus' victory over Satan for us is a settled fact in heaven. It's not going to change. Satan is a defeated enemy, but he's a real enemy. He really is in this world going to and fro, trying to trip us up through many means, through the, the world system, the influence of secularism, all these things that come into our lives. And we are still here, but we're not alone in this battle. 
Christ is with us in many ways. Personally and spiritually, he is with us. We still have a battle to fight as Christians because, again, Satan is the one who influences the world around us and we still have this battle because we have remaining sin in our flesh. The unredeemed part of us is still prone to wander, like me driving 75 coming over here this morning. Whoops, I said how much, huh? Yeah. Prone to wander, to try to achieve my desires rather than resting in God's time and purposes. Justin mentioned this text out of James that I was going to read to you this morning which says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Listen, folks, we don't need Satan to tempt us personally. We have enough indwelling sin still in our flesh to lead us astray daily. I don't know that we could withstand a direct encounter with Lucifer, with Diabolos, the tempter, Satan. But Jesus could. So he faced our greatest enemy face to face. Yet we still fight with this desire to sin, this fleshly temptation to cave in. And that's where our battle lies as believers today. We fight this unredeemed flesh daily. This unredeemed flesh is lured and influenced by the world around us. But by God's grace, in this text, as we read this, the simple passage of 12 and 13, I believe we are given hope. We're given hope here that through Christ's victory over temptation, we have victory as we face temptation. Through Christ, we know that we can face temptation with hope that since he did not fail, his love and care and direction for us will not fail even when we face struggles of sin and Satan and the flesh. Actually, as we face temptation... Because Christ dwells in us, here's what should happen. As we face temptation, it should bring out what's down deep inside of us. Temptation for the Christian is a test to what you really trust in, what you really look to for hope. If you give in to the temptation, it's sin. A test is not a sin. Jesus is tested. The Spirit leads him to be tested. He is not being led in a sinful way to be tested. He's being tested to prove what was down deep inside of him, which was holy and pure and undefiled. And so when we face temptations, we need to keep this in mind. God is honing us. He is burning off the dross. He's exposing us to see what we turn to in the midst of these temptations. Do we trust in his promises and his word in his savior, Jesus? We need to understand that we're going to go through many tests as we progressively are being sanctified by God's grace. But as we go through these tests, here's your hope. Christ wants to reveal what he put inside of you. He wants to reveal the new heart you've been given through his obedience. He wants to reveal the renewed mind you've been given by his spirit who illuminates the text of scripture to give you understanding And most of all, I believe that as we go through these temptations and we we look to him, I believe he wants to reveal that down deep inside of every Christian, there's a greater desire than sin. 
There is a desire to glorify our champion who faced temptation and overcame in our place. And that's our greatest desire. And temptation and testing should actually bring that out. It should expose it. I think that's why, as Jesus is driven by the Holy Spirit to face temptation, that this is a glorious text. Facing temptation for Christ only revealed the reality of what was inside of Christ, which was holy desires to glorify his Father on earth by fulfilling what God had called him into in his ministry. Now look back with me at Mark 1.12. Again, just to point this out for your understanding, it says that the Spirit immediately drove him or propelled Jesus into this test, into this temptation. Propelled is a very, very powerful word here in this Greek text. It means thrown out or cast out. It's the same word that's used in verses 34 and 39 of this chapter that talk about Jesus driving out demons and money changers in the temple. What it's telling us here is the Holy Spirit who had blessed Jesus at his baptism and filled him at his baptism to empower him for ministry is also propelling him with this divine impulse into the wilderness to defeat Satan for us personally. Now, this is amazing. This is absolutely astounding. Just consider the love that Christ must have had for you that compelled him to go into this ministry of suffering under temptation where he would be tried. Just think of the price of his condescension as he goes through temptation on our behalf. At his baptism, we read there and we saw there a visible and audible triune inauguration ceremony. We saw the Spirit coming down like a dove, the Father speaking from heaven as the Son is being obedient. We saw there that Jesus was being set apart and anointed to be our holy substitute. But at the announcement of his ministry, he didn't just go through an inauguration. Jesus also underwent a time of probation like Adam in the Garden of Eden. Christ underwent a period of testing, that's what's going on here, to prove that he was going to bring back what Adam had lost in the fall. Let me give you some things to think about here. The first Adam went through a probationary period in the Garden, and he failed. Adam failed to follow God's will, in the best possible conditions. Think about that. Everything's perfect. Everything. Yet he failed to follow God's will in the best possible conditions. And his failure, consequently, brought the curse of God upon the human race and enslaved us to sin. That's what the first Adam accomplished in his probationary period. But the second Adam... Much different. Jesus went through a probationary period in the wilderness, not in a garden. He went 
through this in the wilderness of Judea. But unlike Adam, Jesus obeyed God's will in the worst possible conditions. You see the superiority of Christ in this? And what he did was he rescued those people who were under the curse. And he set us free from the slavery of sin that we've been entrapped in. Saints, I am so happy that Christ didn't shrink back from this duty, from this calling to go into the wilderness on our behalf. Had he done so, we would not be redeemed. This is part of the work that he was appointed to accomplish for us because we fail in our temptations. Christ met Satan head on. He met him head on as our champion. And he did that to prove that he was our sinless redeemer. Our savior expresses his love for us. By facing this battle in our place. Just consider the immensity of God's love. As you see this here in the next point. The second phase of our champion's battle. We see something uh, just astounding. The sinless son of God, secondly, was tempted by Satan. The creature that he made. The creature that rebelled against him in heaven. Who was cast to the earth. He's tempted by this creature. But listen, there's a purpose in his temptation. He's tempted by Satan to conquer temptation in the flesh for us. You know, you read the end of the book, right? Revelation. And in the revelation of John that's given there, he was given by Christ himself. In that revelation, we find that, that eventually. Diabolos, Satan, will be cast into a lake of fire for eternity. Well, Jesus could have conquered him that way even at this point, but that's not the way he does it. He comes to conquer him personally in the flesh, in our place, because we can't. Look at verse 13a. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And then there's this addition here. He was with the wild animals. This is only found in Mark's gospel account. And I believe it's, it's only found here because God in this text in particular wants us to feel the intensity of this time of temptation that Jesus was facing physically. Remember, he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he's in a, now described in a place as desolate, a wilderness. You need to understand the wilderness was a dangerous place. Again, it was inhabited by these wild animals, jackals, wolves, leopards, hyenas, and the tempter himself. And what Mark's doing in verse 13 is he's pointing out in this description the hostile nature of the wilderness temptation. In, in this hostile condition, this hostile place, it's amazing. Jesus does what Adam cannot do, what you and I cannot do. He, he proves in this that he is greater than us all. He proves to be greater than Adam, that's for sure. He proves to be greater in the sense that he is even weak and he's in a wilderness and he's conquering in our place. 
He's in a place unlike the Garden of Eden where paradise was lost. He's in a cursed world standing in our place, conquering our great enemy personally. In verse 13a there we see that he overcame in weakness what Adam lost in strength. He overcame. And unlike Adam, who was in a garden that was filled with delicacies and delights, right? Jesus is in a place of wilderness and desolation. And he's starving. And he's still greater than Adam. He's the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, your Redeemer. And he's going here for you. I mean, what a contrast here between the first Adam and the second Adam. First Adam failed in paradise. The second Adam triumphed in the wilderness. The first Adam failed while feasting. The second Adam conquered while fasting. What a Savior we have. What an amazing God we have. We need to consider what he was going through. And again, I believe his temptation was uniquely his. Look with me at Christ's temptations in Matthew 4. We need to understand this. We need to understand that Jesus' temptations were real and they were powerful. And they're actually part of God's plan to reveal our Savior. Look at Matthew 4, verse 3. Again, these were specifically suited for the God-man. Verse 3, it says, And the tempter, that is Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, that is Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this temptation came to Jesus because Christ deserved this. Jesus deserved to be fed as our very creator here on the earth. Christ alone deserved to always be fed, to always be satisfied physically. And this temptation to make rocks into bread was real for Christ. It was a real temptation because only he could do that. And only he deserved to go full and satisfied. Think about this. He was sinless and he never, ever deserved to feel the pain of hunger like this. It's a pain that we're accustomed to. We deserve in this fallen world. He never deserved to starve, to be out in this wilderness place. He had not sinned. He had not done anything wrong. He should have always been satisfied, always been fed. Yet Jesus humbles himself, get this, to feel our hunger and to feel our pain. And he went through it without asserting his rights that he deserved was to be fed and nourished and never hunger and never feel pain. Verses 5 and 5 to 7 says this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple 
and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is a real temptation for Christ. This temptation came because Christ alone deserved to be carried by angels. This temptation was real because Christ deserved to be announced by angels and carried before men as the king of kings. But Christ humbled himself in this temptation. Listen, he humbled himself by not asserting his right to be carried, to be borne along by angels and declare to the world that he is the king of kings. He humbled himself in this way. He came not to be borne along by others, but to bear the sins of his people. I think dwelling on even these two temptations should have a sanctifying effect on our hearts and our minds. You know, I, I could tell you that sin is wrong, temptations that you've fallen into are, are evil and, and so forth, and I can point out, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, but nothing in what I say will change your desires. But when you look to Christ, who suffered in your place, oh, he can change the heart's desires. He can turn your eyes to walk on the narrow way. He can sanctify your lives. But you need to look to him. Consider who he is. Consider what he's done to rescue you. Look at this last temptation in verses 8 to 10. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Just, just, just think about this for a second, though. I've got to stop. The condescension of Christ is amazing here. The humility of Christ is amazing here. This cursed, fallen creature is leading the Savior, the sovereign King of glory. And Jesus submits to this because the Spirit has compelled him to go there for our salvation. Did you feel the weight of that love that God has for you? Look what it says. All He says in verse... Eight again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Now, there's the authority of Christ coming to the top. For it is written. You shall worship the Lord, your God. And him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. In this temptation, it, it, we, we see again Christ not asserting what he has the right to assert. This temptation came because Christ deserves to rule over this world as Lord in a very visible way. That's why this temptation was real for him. This temptation was real because Christ alone deserves 
to rule as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But again, what's he do? He humbles himself as our substitute to make us, us, heirs of his kingdom to come. This is what's happening in this. Christ's eye is upon you, not Satan in this temptation. His love for you is compelling him because I believe the Holy Spirit loves you. And he is driving him to accomplish this great victory in our place so that we could testify to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, inwardly, all of us, everyone in this room is tempted to assert what we consider our rights at times, our selfish desires, and yet we know we don't deserve any good in this world. But here's Jesus, who deserved all praise, all adoration, all comfort, all satisfaction. And here he is, submitting to this temptation. He didn't have selfish desires. You understand that? He had God-exalting desires. He wanted to fulfill the Father's will. And he did that, and he had that desire because Jesus himself is holy and undefiled. You know, we're so prone to selfishness, we think it's just normal. It's the result of the fall. Here is God the Son who deserves all these things. But he's no, he's not looking at his own desires. He's looking to the Father's desires. I'm here to do your will. Oh God. What an amazing Savior. Jesus did this because it was his desire, because he was holy and pure and undefiled. Jesus couldn't and Jesus wouldn't ever sin. Understand that. Couldn't and wouldn't because of his nature. Because he had no sinful nature in him like we do. And because he was here at the Father's bidding to do his will. And when I, when I say that Jesus had no sinful nature, when Jesus couldn't sin, people often think, well, then how he, could he possibly have actually been tempted here? Could these temptations be real at all if he couldn't sin? Yes, they could be. And yes, they were. Jesus felt temptations full of strength, actually, unlike we do. What do we do when we're tempted? I'd say, I'll be nice, 70% of the time. We submit to the temptation. And we follow our physical inclinations. We sin. Jesus was sinless. He was God. He couldn't sin. But he still felt the full strength outwardly. He had no way to relieve himself of this outward pressure by caving into temptations and selfish desires and sinning and disobeying against God. That's what we do. He had no release from the outward pressures of temptation like we do. He had no inner propensity and inner weakness to give in to sin. But the outward pressure was real for him. And it was, again, more intense than it is for you and I. It was more intense because, again, our indwelling sin readily caves in and submits to the flesh. 
even at the slightest temptation that comes our way. We know that feeling. Yet Christ, he felt those temptations in the fullest sense, and he withstood them perfectly in our place. He never had to repent. Well, we don't even know what that's like, right? We have no idea what that's like. We should be repenting daily, confessing our sins, repenting daily. Christ never had to do that. That's good news for us. For Christ, this temptation was like being hit with massive blasts of temptation with nothing on to protect him but his flesh. And what I find actually astounding is this. He didn't yield. Yeah, I know he's holy. I know he's pure. But look, he deserved to have these things that Satan brought before him. When we're tempted, we don't deserve to have the things that tempt us. We grab them out of our sinfulness. But here's Christ showing his humility and his love for us personally, I think, here. Because inwardly, he, he was deserving of these things. Yet he did not yield to the temptation because he loves us. And he knows that we need his perfection and his victory over temptation. What's astounding in this is this. Though he was fully God, fully man, 100% God, 100% man, holy and righteous, by God's grace, he chose to fight temptation with the same weapon that's available to all Christians. He didn't call down a legion of other angels to devastate Satan. He didn't bind him and throw him into the lake of fire. No, he fights him with the same weapon that we have available, the Word of God. Listen, I believe that he, he could do that because the Word of God was planted so deeply in his soul. Saints, understand this. Jesus is not just quoting scriptures at the devil. Oh, I got my checklist of if the devil comes today, this is what I'm going to say, right? Daily bread for today, right? I mean, no. No. These came out of his heart because of his great love for God the Father. And his great desire to be nourished by what the Father had revealed to his people in his word. And he absorbed it. He soaked in it. He drank it up. And when the temptation came, when the tempter came, he was full of the Spirit and able to confront the enemy on God's terms. And he caused him to flee. Saints, we can do the same thing. This is what's so astounding in this. This is the same weapon, the same spirit, the same reality. As you absorb the word of God, as you fall in love with God, as you read the Bible, oh, his spirit will fill you. He will prepare you. He'll equip you to face temptations and to face them the way Christ did, with confidence that God has a greater desire and plan for my life than this immediate temptation says that I need. I can look to God. I can look to God's word and stand firm in that. And the devil will flee. The enemy is defeated. I was thinking of what that looks like in regular people, not just in Jesus. What would it look like if we were so filled with the word of God when temptation came, we knew immediately what God's will was in this occasion, and we ran to the truth And we soaked in the truth 
And we turned from that, turned from that compromising situation and we glorified God. Well, it would look like freedom that we have in Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin through Christ. And there was, there was a man in history that I think exhibited this kind of love for God so deep and so rich and his word dwelt in him so, so amazingly that when he was tempted to compromise, what he did as a result was just God-exalting. This man's name was John Bunyan, the pastor, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. It was forbidden by the state for him to preach the gospel in the community in which he lived. And the penalty was imprisonment if he continued gathering up saints and nourishing them with the truth of God's word. Yet he said, I will not compromise. The word of God is not chained. And so he carried it forth and he preached the gospel. And they came to him and said, we're going to arrest you, Bunyan. Now understand, Bunyan had a, a pew full of kids at home. He's the sole provider. And he's <laughs> providing on a pastor's salary, which weren't much. But that's all they had. And his convictions were so strong because they were so rooted in the word of God and his love for Jesus that even though his family could suffer and die if he is imprisoned, he puts his hands forth and he goes to prison. And in prison, the evidence of his love for Christ came out. In prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And if you want to see what it looks like to have your heart filled with confidence in God's word and a love for Christ, read one of the original copies of Pilgrim's Progress and look at the footnotes. As you read and see the footnotes, there's scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture reference on every page. Understand this. That man did not have a Bible when he was in that prison. The word ran so deeply in his heart that he wouldn't compromise when he was tempted and it was overflowing in his trials. Saints, that's what we see in Christ. And the good news for us is that that can be our testimony as well. Jesus defeated temptation through the same means of grace that God has given to all of us. It's the word of God. It reveals the plan of God and the promises of God for his people. And if the word is used properly and taken in worshipfully, it will equip you to face temptations as Christ did. Understand, Jesus, again, loved the one he trusted in. He loved him so much when he faced temptation, he wanted to exalt God's will above his own desires his own struggles. The word of God for Jesus was not a theology book. Okay? It wasn't a quick reference to when you're in trouble book either. A lot of times people just know the Bible because there's a few quick verses I go to whenever things go bad. It's my reference guide for bad days. Jesus loved the author. Jesus was the author. There's a Trinitarian amazing love that's being displayed in Jesus' ministry throughout his life. But here, as you see him use the word of God, there is such reverence and honor and love for the Father that's amazing to me. You shall worship the Lord your God, 
and him only shall you serve. I mean, it looks like Jesus is beat down by these temptations until we come to this last one. Be gone, Satan. Satan had defied and defiled the name of God. And Jesus responds with great passion in his heart because it's deep inside of him. And that's the way we should feel when we face sin, when we face temptation. We should have a greater desire to honor our God than to give in to our flesh. Jesus knows what we go through. He knows that the battle with temptation is real. Go back with me to Mark 1.13. He knows that we're all facing temptations daily. And he all knows that it can be wearisome. He knows that it can be wearisome for us all. It was wearisome for him. It says that the angels had to come and minister to him. Now listen, just because we have on, don't, don't misunderstand what I said earlier. Just because you have on the armor of God, just because you put on the word of God and you live it out, it doesn't mean you're not going to get weary in this battle with temptation. But what's comforting to me is this. Jesus was weary too. I think there's a lot of comfort in knowing that Jesus personally knows how we feel when we struggle with temptation. What I, what I find astounding is this. He knows and he cares about us. He doesn't just supernaturally know as the sovereign one what we feel. He knows it intimately, experientially. And he is there as our high priest to hear our cries for help when we face these things. Now that's comforting to me this morning. He knows what it's like to be weary from the battle. That's why the angels had to come and minister to him. I think there's also much comfort in knowing this. Maybe this is where we're at today. There's much comfort in knowing that when we fail the temptation and we fall into sin because of Christ, there is full pardon. And there is a promise of God's compassion that will come to us and heal us and strengthen us and prepare us again for the next battle. Look with me at Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 14. says this, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see where Jesus' temptation eventually led him? It led him to be our perfect high priest who sympathizes with us in our suffering. And our champion in the faith takes us to where the writer of Hebrews says is the throne of favor. The throne of favor in our time of need. Jesus feels what we feel. He knows what we go through. And he cares. And he is interceding for us. I think Mark 1.13 reminds us of that. It reminds us that our sinless, sympathetic champion knows how much we need him. 
how much comfort there is from him as we look to him in the battle with temptation. Real quickly, the, the third phase of our champion's battle that we see here in this passage tells us that, thirdly, Jesus was comforted by his servants. God's champion needed care supernaturally brought to him. The angels were ministering to him. God the Father's pleasure in God the Son's victory, I think, is evidenced here. It's evidenced by God the Father in his love and compassion for his Son, sending these supernatural servants to physically care and comfort our champion. We aren't specifically told how the angels did that. It could have been feeding him bread from heaven like manna. It's possible. He was hungry. Or they could have been comforting him with their fellowship. He was lonely from this battle. They could have been doing both. We don't know exactly how they did their ministry. We can see why. We can see why they came. The angels comfort him because he is God's faithful champion. And it appears, as I read the text, that God is rewarding him with this personal heavenly comfort while he is here on the earth. Church, I, I believe that Christ's victory in the wilderness is meant to give us heavenly comfort as well. It brings us to the throne of grace. Knowing that when we go through temptations, we can look to Christ who knows what we're facing and who promises through his victory that we will be faithful to the end because he was faithful for us. Let me, let me recap real quickly what I've covered. Mark 1, 12 to 13 tells us that number one, Christ, our champion, was propelled into battle to show us that our victory over temptation comes through his purity, not our own strength. His purity covers our sins when we fail to resist temptation. And he was propelled into this battle to reveal this to us. Secondly, Christ, our champion, was tempted in the battle to show us that our power over temptation is found in God's word of promise. The same word that Christ trusted in. As we trust in God's word, it will guide us into right fellowship with God again and away from temptation. This is what drove Jesus' heart to remain pure in the face of temptation and to have his desires sanctified for God's praise. Thirdly, Christ, our champion, was comforted in this battle to show us that our comfort in the midst of temptation comes from God. He cares about us because his son suffered in our place to redeem us. Christ's own personal sympathy, Christ's personal sympathy comforts if you think about this, it should comfort us because we know he knows what we feel like, what we struggle with. And he has done something to redeem us from the curse, to give us hope of eternal life. Turn with me to, to one last verse. It's in First Peter. 
First Peter chapter five. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Christ's temptation and victory in the wilderness should show you and I how much God truly cares for you. Three words that just amaze me in the in the Bible. God cares. Actually, four words for you. God cares for you. Is that not amazing? You, a defiled and rebellious sinner, are cared for by the sovereign creator. Not just in a general sense, but in a specific and personal sense. Look what it says in 1, 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because... He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, moves about, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Your faith is in Christ. Knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. That word means to mend. Confirm. It means to stabilize, strengthen. It means to build up and establish you. It means to ground you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We can resist the devil if we remember how much God cares for us according to his word. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen, church, we have, we have a, an amazing champion on our side. We have a champion who is, who is and was willing to personally comfort and direct us through his word. He does that even when we go through temptations. If we are truly his. I think the gospel of Mark reminds us of that. It reminds us that Jesus is our conquering savior. And he cares about us in a very personal way. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him as a personal savior. I beg you in Christ's name to repent of your sins and look to the one who conquered sin, Satan and death itself in your place. And believe upon him. Through him, all of us here have a way of escape when we are tempted. We can rest in his victory. We can trust in his word because it will guide us even in the midst of our temptations. So when you're tempted, remember that. Look into the word. Trust in his will and rest in his victory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that you would plant it deeply in our heart so that we would exalt you through our lives as we face temptations 
So we would have your desire reigning over our own desires. We ask you, Lord, to be glorified today as we conclude this service and seek to walk out the truth as it is in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.